This morning's text is Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one, that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we were taking communion, I had such a vivid picture of you on the cross, the thorn of crowns on your head, hanging there before people who did not know who you were, who did not know what you were doing, who did not understand that they were witnessing the centerpiece of history who did not understand that they were seeing the most unbelievable display of mercy that anyone had ever seen. You cried out in pain, weeping before your Father, and said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, you knew the answer to the question. You knew that for a moment the Father forsook you and poured His wrath out upon you and crushed you that we might be reconciled to Him through you. You knew that because of that momentary affliction as heavy and infinitely incomprehensible as it was, because of that, people from every tribe and tongue and nation would be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. They would be formed into the temple of the Holy Spirit in the very body of Christ, in the bride of Jesus, the wife of Jesus Christ. And so we stand here today because of what the Father did to you on that day. We stand here today with the promise that sits behind me on the wall. I will build my church on the basis of my authority in heaven and on earth, on the basis of what I've done on the cross on the basis of the fact that I have raised from the dead and I rule all things, that I am seated at the right hand of God, on the basis of that, I will build my church. Lord, I pray that in these days You'd cause these truths to sink deeply into our hearts. God, please help me from just preaching another sermon and please help us from just listening to another sermon. Please cause the truth to live for us this morning, I pray, Lord. Oh, Lord, what you've done is infinitely significant, and it's so real, and it's so life-giving. It's the center of what real life is all about. So I beg you, Lord, in the Holy Spirit, make these things live for us today. Lord, I give myself to you in my weakness, and I ask you to use me to preach your word now. I I bring the church before you and ask you to make us good listeners, make us fertile soil 
that the Word might land on us and sink into us and sprout and grow and bear much fruit in and through us. We love you and thank you because we know that you will bear fruit for the glory of your name. You will build your church, period. We thank you. We praise you for your mercy in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, sometimes it's so hard to just do what the Lord's called you to do. You get so taken by who He is and what He's done. It's hard to just not keep worshiping, Steve. I wish we could just worship for another hour. But I must preach. We were are in a season of life right now at Glory of Christ where we're reshaping the mission statement of this church. And the reason isn't because the one we have now is a bad one. That's not the reason. The reason is because the mission statement we have now, we adopted from our mother church, Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. And we feel that we've been going for three years now, and it's time for us to sort of formulate a way of thinking about who we are and what we're doing here that's unique to us and unique to what the Lord is doing in the life of this church. And so we turned our attention to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we spent three weeks looking at it, and here's what we saw, three lessons. First of all, we saw that Jesus Christ is great and mighty beyond all of our comprehension. He said that all authority in heaven and all authority on earth belongs to Him. You just got to let that sink in. There's no king, there's no ruler, there's no authority available anywhere that Jesus does not have total control of. He is awesome in power. He really is. And because of that, we should receive the Great Commission as good news and not as a burden. We should understand that because He has all authority, He is able to complete the things that He commands us to do. And so we can receive His command upon us with joy, with gladness, with the happiness that He will do what He has called us to do in us and through us. Second thing we did is we looked at the particulars of the command that the Lord has put upon the church and we saw that He essentially commanded the church to do one thing in three parts. He commanded us to disciple all the nations by proclaiming the gospel to them, by baptizing new believers, and by teaching them to observe everything Jesus commanded. In other words, teaching them to live as Christians. I don't know exactly how we will formulate the mission of the church, but the bottom line is that's what the church is supposed to be all about. Our mission is to disciple people by proclaiming the gospel, baptizing believers, and then walking with them through the ebb and flow of life and teaching them to observe everything Jesus commanded. Teaching them to, to live as Jesus would have them live. The master of the church has spoken and our duty is simply to submit to him. So again, I don't know exactly how the statement will come out, but what I know is that we're called to make disciples for the glory of Christ by teaching, by, by proclaiming, by baptizing, and by teaching. The third thing we saw a few weeks ago, which was such a great comfort to me, is that Jesus Christ, when He sends us, has promised to go with us, to physically be present with us. Right here, right now, Elk River, Minnesota, November 7th, 2010, Jesus Christ is in the room with us right now. We're not having to fulfill His command on our own, but He's with us. He will give us all the resources we need. He'll give us all the power we need. He'll give us all the wisdom we need, all the energy we need, all the mercy we need, all the everything that we need. And He'll deliver those things to us through His own presence. 
He doesn't delegate the delivery system to somebody else or to something else. He Himself dwells among us and gives us everything we need. That's great news. The Jesus who has all authority is walking with us, and I don't know what more we could possibly need. So then last week, with all that in mind, we started to turn toward what all of that's going to look like in the life of glory of Christ. And as we did that, I wanted to put one more principle on the table because it's so crucial for us to understand, and that is namely the title of this sermon, I Will Build My Church. Jesus Christ does use means to build His church. He uses people like us. He uses the speaking out of the gospel. He uses acts of love and compassion locally and around the world to spread the glory of His name. He uses creation. The sun, the moon, the stars. Last night as I was coming home, it was just so nice outside. I couldn't help but go for a little walk before I went to bed. And I went up and just looked at the stars. And they were proclaiming the glory of Christ to me. And I remembered back in 1982 or 3, the first time I I really had an experience with God. I was not a believer. I was a drug addict. And I was sitting there actually on a golf course in the middle of the night. The sky was full of stars. I was looking up at the sky. And God was testifying to me about the reality of who He is. And something in my heart said, all that could not have just happened. It couldn't have just happened. Somebody had to do that. And it was probably three years later before I believed in Jesus, but that was my first move toward Christ. So He does use means like creation, like the forces of nature to build His church. He does use circumstances in people's lives. For some of us, He had to bring us to the absolute bottom of the barrel where we had no other hope but to look up and cry out to God. He will use all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, we need to let the truth sink into our hearts that He Himself is building the church. Jesus, the great and mighty One who emptied Himself and died on the cross for us and rose again from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father is literally working among us right now to build His church. Oh, how I pray that the Lord will allow this to sink into our hearts. There are three implications of this I want to point out very quickly and then I'll move on with a sermon for this week. First of all, is that since Jesus is building His church, it means the church will last forever. Forever. Now we formed a corporation a few years ago, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation called Glory of Christ. There may come a day where that corporation dissolves, but the spiritual building Jesus is building in us and through us right now will remain forever. Forever. So many of the things that we work on in our lives are just fading. They might last for a season. They may impact someone's life for a day, but they fade away. Even the greatest empires of the world. A year or so ago, I had a privilege of going with John Anderson to Rome and to Athens. And I looked at the ruins of the two greatest cultures this this world has ever known, probably. And they're just that now. They're ruins. They were great for hundreds of years, but they're ruins now. We have to let it sink in that what God is doing right in this room, in us and through us and among us, will last forever. Forever. His work here is eternal. That's an amazing thing to to think about. It's an amazing thing to let sink in. As you labor in His church, your labor is an eternal labor. That's the point. You're working on things when you work on the church that will last forever. You want a sense of purpose in life? Work on things that will last forever. 
And that is the house that the Lord is building. And the house He's building is His church, both here and around the world. Second thing that this means to me is that since Jesus is building the church and it's going to last forever, we can relax. We can just relax. You know what our job is? Our job as a people, individuals, and a church as a whole is simply to surrender to the Master. That's it. We don't have to be the grand designers. We don't have to have all the gifts, all the prowess, all the charisma, all the ideas, all the resources, fancy buildings, programs, all that. We don't need it. He may give us those things, but what we simply need to do is surrender to the Master. He knows what He's doing. He really knows how to build a church. And so our part is simply to relax and surrender. Finally, since Jesus is building the church, at the end of the day, He alone gets the glory for the church. No pastor, no leader, no participant in the ministry, no wise person, man or woman, no one with powers of healing or prophecy or anything will be able to stand up in the last day and take credit for what Jesus Christ has done. Nobody. And you know what? When we get to heaven, we won't want to. We won't want to. When we get to heaven and we see what Christ has done among us and how He did it and why He did it, the, the cry of our heart will be along with the angels, Lord Jesus Christ, You alone are worthy of glory and honor and praise and power and wisdom and might forever. You alone get the glory because You alone built the church. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, how I pray that this will sink into our hearts and minds as we roll up our sleeves in the coming days and work really hard to push this church into the next phase that the Lord has for us. He is doing it in us. He will use us, but He is doing it in us for the glory of His name. So, on the basis of His great authority and with the promise of His presence, Jesus has commanded us to disciple the nations by proclaiming the gospel, by baptizing believers, and by teaching them all He commanded. That's the mission of the church. So I've been praying lately and asking the Lord on prayer walks and such. I've just been asking Him, Lord, would you give me a glimpse into what you see happening in the next five years, ten years, twenty years? As we work together as a people to, to fulfill the great commission you have for us here, would you help me to see a glimpse? And I do believe that He's opened my eyes to some extent, and what I've seen has very little to do with buildings and budgets and staff and the numbers of the church. Those things have their place, but as I've prayed, honestly, it's just not what's come to my mind. But as I have prayed, the Lord has given me a glimpse, and I don't know what else to call it but that. I just feel like I'm seeing a glimpse of a people who are truly enthralled with God. Years ago, we came up with a statement based on 1 Peter 2.9, and it really describes what the Lord has been helping me to see in the last couple of weeks as I've prayed. The statement went like this. We see a people of God enthralled with the glory of God, proclaiming the excellencies of God among the nations. So to make that a little simpler, what I see as I close my eyes and pray is a people who are genuinely in love with their God. Who are genuinely in love with their Father. It's not a put on. They're genuinely thrilled with who He is. Preoccupied by who He is. Imperfect people, to be sure. But people who are growing in their sense of who God is, people who are growing in their passion to know Him as He is, to seek Him, to have fellowship with Him. And because they're genuinely thrilled with God, genuinely in love with God, if you will, they eagerly sing to Him. They eagerly cling to His Word by reading it and memorizing it and obeying it, speaking it into each other's lives. They, they eagerly 
learn, seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. They eagerly love one another through community groups or whatever. They eagerly share the gospel with people who don't believe, not because they have to, but because it's the passion of their heart. They're thrilled with God, and they live horizontal lives that make sense because of that. It's what I see when I pray. I know that that's got to sound kind of abstract, like hard to get your hands on. Maybe to some of you it feels overly idealistic, but in my heart it doesn't feel idealistic. And I want you to know that as one of your pastors, who loves you very much, pray for you all the time, I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. As I pray about our future together, what I see is not the external things like buildings and budgets, but I see who Jesus is forming us to be as a people. And I think what He wants us to be is a people who are thrilled with Him and willing to submit to Him in all of our lives. It's really that simple. A people of God enthralled with the glory of God, proclaiming the excellencies of God among the nations. A lot of details involved in the life of a church, but it comes down to the simplicity of love. That's it. We're just in love with the Father and willing to submit to Him. Now, over the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is I want to lay out some practical things that the elders are thinking it will take to bring this vision about. Some of you, as you hear what I have to say today and next week, will probably think to yourself that what I'm going to say would be better suited to a business meeting than a Sunday worship service. But all three of us elders feel like it would be good to lay out before you like in really practical details, like here's what we're working on and here's why we're working on it. Because over the last few years, we've been really clear with each other about what we're up to and why, but we don't feel like we've been really clear with the church about what we've been up to and why. And so we feel like since we knew what we were doing, but we didn't tell you what we were doing, you were left wondering if we knew what we were doing. And so this Sunday and next Sunday is a part of an effort to to improve our communication with you and to let you know how we're thinking about building this church. It's a lot, Greg, or whoever else is a builder here, like building a house. you got to build it one piece at a time. You can't build the whole thing all at once. So I kind of want to lay out the architecture this morning and let you know what we're working on and why and invite you into prayer and invite you to roll up your sleeves with us and go to work for the glory of His name. And so for the rest of today and next week, the, the very basic question before us is this. How are we going to go about bringing about the vision that God has for this church? Or if I can put it in other words, what's the strategy that we have? The mission we have is clear. It's to make disciples for the glory of Christ. The vision I believe that God has for the church is a people who are thrilled with Him and eager to submit to His will. And so now the question is, what's the strategy? How's that going to happen? How's it going to come about? And the elders have five answers to this question. I want to I want to read them for you very carefully, I mean very quickly, and then I will come back and deal with them uh, today and next week. So here's the five things. Practical strategy. First of all, we need to continue to develop a strong and consistent worship service wherein the glory of Christ is highly exalted and wherein the presence of Christ is there to meet with His people. So we need to regularly, Steve and I and those involved in the worship ministry itself in particular, need to work hard to highly exalt Jesus as He is so that people will encounter Him and not just in His glory and majesty and might, but also in His mercy, that He will be here to meet our needs week in and week out, week in and week out. Number two, we need to develop a strong community structure. 
so that each member and attender of the church will have the opportunity to learn what it means to practice the one another's of the Scripture, to live in koinonia together. We spent five months talking about this stuff. And now it's time for us to build the structure of, of koinonia in the life of the church, learning what it means to love one another. So first, a worship service. Second, we need a strong koinonia structure, a community group structure. Number three, we need to develop a structure through which we can teach the life-giving truths of the faith and work with one another to put them into, a, into practice. So we started this little thing called the School of Ministry. It's slowly moving along, and I'll talk to you more probably next week about what the plans are for the future. But the idea is that in order to really be a people of God, we have to have minds that are being transformed by the Word of God. So we need some venue where we can seriously teach the practical truths of the faith that, that really shape our lives and mean the most to us. Number four, we must learn to reach out to people to lost people at a church-wide level. And we must learn to build redemptive relationships with lost people at an individual level and at a community group level so that we can share the gospel with those who do not believe. And then finally, number five, each of us must grow in personal love and devotion for Christ. So I say to you again that Jesus Christ is building His church, but He uses very practical, on-the-ground, rubber-meets-the-road things And as the elders have prayed about what it will take to actually become the people He's calling us to become, these five things have come to our mind. A strong worship service, strong community groups, strong theological education, consistent engagement with the lost, and constant devotion to Christ. We believe that if we did these things well, we would be a people that would be carrying out the Great Commission. We would be a people enthralled with the glory of God, proclaiming the excellencies of God among the nations. And so within that larger context, I want to talk with you today about the worship service and how we're thinking about this and what we're up to right now. Just real practical stuff that we're doing. The next week, I want to come back and talk to you mainly about community groups. We're, we're making progress there, but I want to let you know exactly how we're thinking and exactly where we're at and exactly where we're going. So next week I'll spend the whole sermon basically dealing with that and then I'll quickly touch on the other three things. Because right now, the main thing we're working on is the worship service and the community groups. The other stuff is very important, but it's all in due time. So right now we're putting a lot of energy into these two things and I want to talk to you about those things. So, about the worship service. A couple months ago now, I think it's been Steve, that you and I went down to Marine on St. Croix and had a couple days where we just meditated on the nature of the worship ministry here. And we articulated the, the conversations that we have like this. Here was the, the aim of worship. And I think I put this up there. The aim of worship is to exalt the glory of God in the eyes of His people that they might see, sing, seek, and submit to Him. The aim of worship And the aim of this worship service is to exalt the glory of God in the eyes of His people that they might see Him, sing to Him, seek Him, and submit to Him. So let me just say a few things about this. First of all, the foundation of all true worship is the sight of God. We can sing songs, we can go through a lot of motions, but what evokes true worship in the heart of a worshiper is when they see something of Jesus Christ. Today as we were singing, and then especially as we took communion, beloved, I really feel like Jesus just unveiled my eyes and revealed Himself to me. 
I really felt like I could see Jesus hanging on the cross. And at that moment, true worship was evoked in my heart because I encountered Jesus as He is. Not as a, a figure we talk about in church, but I encountered Him as He is. And I think all true worship happens that way. It begins with the sight of God. So that's part of what we're up to here. We want to help people see, week in and week out, see something of the glory and greatness of Christ. Second thing, the sight of the glory of God in the face of Christ does evoke response in the heart of a true worshiper. You can't just see Jesus and do nothing and say nothing. Now I understand we're northerners, we're Scandinavians. I'm Irish, but most of all we're Scandinavians in this room. We're quiet, we're reserved, we're not very expressive. There's very little chance of a Pentecostal awakening breaking out in this church, right? I bet, I doubt that many of you have felt threatened by the possibility of a great, a great thing like that happening here in this church. We're, we're reserved people, and that's okay. God has made different people to be different ways. Some of us express our praise in loud ways. Others of us are, are quiet and still like a stream. And that's okay. God created it all. But the point I'm making is that somehow or other, whatever it looks like externally, God when we catch the sight of God, it evokes response in us. It evokes affections in us. It evokes praise to Him in some way, shape, or form. And that's why we say we're, our aim is to exalt the glory of God that we might see Him and then sing to Him. Third thing, the purpose of this kind of heartfelt expression and experience of God is that each of us, Sunday after Sunday, would come to church and feel impassioned to have now a, 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 a more passionate heart after God. So we're not just trying to have a, an emotional experience here in church. We're trying to encounter God that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we would be inspired to seek hard after God. And then finally, this leads to the, what I think is the pinnacle of, of worship, and that is submission. All true seeking after God ends up in submission to God. Because when you seek God and you find Him and He shares His wisdom for your life, the true worshiper will say, Yes, Father, I will do as you command. My delight is your command. And so the ultimate goal of this worship service is to exalt the glory of Christ in the eyes of His people that they might live a life of submission to Him. So if I could just state the aim again. The aim of this worship service is to exalt Christ as high as we can, that His people might see Him, sing to Him, seek Him, and submit to Him. Our desire for Sunday morning worship is not simply to provide moving worship experiences. Although I hope that they will be moving. But it's not a superficial aim. Our aim in worship is to provide the possibility of life-transforming worship experiences. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, it says that that's how we change. The way we change is by coming into contact with the presence of Jesus Christ. It says that as you behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, you are changed. It's actually the word metamorphosis. From one degree of glory to another. You're slowly changed into the image of Christ as you encounter the presence of Christ. 
And so we don't have an idealistic vision that every single Sunday everyone's going to walk into the worship service and be instantly and completely transformed. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that by one degree at a time, that every single Sunday the goal of this worship service is to provide a potentially life-transforming, life-shaping experience. I have been shaped this morning because I encountered Jesus Christ sitting in my chair right over there. It touched me very deeply. And because of that, I will, I will be changed. I will be changed. And so I don't want to come off sounding overly idealistic. I just want us to understand every time we come into the presence of our Father, the potential for transformation is there, and that's what we are about. Now, in every sermon I've ever heard, I've had at least one or two or three times where I've drifted, my mind has drifted, and I'm sure there's some of you drifting right now. I want to call everybody back from the drift for a second, because what I'm about to say right now is just really important because it affects a lot of you. There are a lot of hands actually involved in making this worship service happen from setting things up, running all the wires, setting up the music, practicing the music, doing all this stuff, setting up the tables, singing, preaching, teaching, agape meals, all that. There's a lot of us involved. So I really want us to hear this. Every single act involved in setting up the worship service is itself an act of worship. And so the aim of worship that I was just sharing to you, to exalt Christ that we might see Him, sing to Him, seek Him, and submit to Him, it relates to everything that happens on Sunday morning and not just to the singing and the preaching. What I just said relates to the setting up. It relates to putting those tables together out there and keeping them as they ought to be. It relates to greeting and ushering. It relates to setting up all the wires. It relates to practicing the music. It relates to our fellowship. It relates to later in the morning here, we're going to go eat together. It relates to that. It relates to cleaning up. It relates to praying together. It relates to the singing and the preaching. It relates to everything. To everything. If you have any part at all in helping us to pull off this worship service, your aim is the same as ours to exalt the glory of Christ that others might see Him for who He is and worship Him. You can set up chairs to the glory of Jesus Christ. What about when you're setting them up to pray over every chair? You know, the Lord knows everyone who's going to sit in every single space. What about, you could make it an act of worship by praying. What about when you're setting up the tables to pray for the people who will go there, that they would be blessed and helped and all of that? Beloved, as people see the way that we're doing what we're doing, it has the potential of evoking worship even when we're just setting the place up. You know, this morning as the worship team was practicing, I was just walking up here to do something. I had my mind on something else and you guys distracted me because the way you were warming up and practicing the song just evoked worship in my heart. It really did. It was authentic worship from the heart of a man who loves God because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And every single thing we do has that potential. So I want us to be united. The, the point of what we're doing here on Sunday morning, Sunday in and Sunday out, is not just to have a service and play church. That's not what we're doing. Our aim as a people is to exalt our Father that people might see Him for who He is and worship Him. That's what we're up to. That's what our aim is. That's what our purpose is. And I pray that the Lord will help that to sink deeply into our hearts. Now, that's a, that's a, a vision statement, I suppose, about what this worship service is about. Now I'm going to get down to the nitty gritty and tell you some just practical things we're working on right now. There are four particular things 
that we're trying to improve to help this worship service be better and better and to accomplish that aim that I just said. And these are things besides the fact that Steve is always working to improve and I'm always working to improve as much as I possibly can. These are just practical things, four things. Number one, we're working on the interior of this space to make it more worshipful, to make it more inspiring, to make it more helpful. So what I'm talking about is things like signs and banners and plants and just things that make it feel more like a worship area. And we're talking about putting signs around so that people that are visiting especially know where they're going. You know, to us who've come here week after week for a long time, it's obvious to us where the bathrooms are, where the nursery is, where the worship center is, all that stuff. It's obvious to us, but to a visitor, it's not obvious. And so we're working with a couple in the church to help us think about where we could put signs to help people. And probably more importantly, we're looking at buying banners and decorations and things like that that will help us when we come into this space to feel like we're coming into the presence of a mighty and merciful God. I am well aware that banners and decorations won't magically make the presence of God increase here. I know that. But I do think God has created us to be visual, sensual beings And He uses things like that to inspire true worship in our hearts. Maybe you walk in on a Sunday morning and you see a banner that that exalts His glory and you remember, oh yeah, the reason I'm here this morning is to worship a great and mighty God. And you can let go of the concerns of the morning. And so we're going to work on some superficial things, if you will, but I want you to understand the reason is that we want the, the sense of worship to increase in this space. If you're a creative person, you love working on things like that, please talk to me because we certainly need your help. Uh, another thing that we're going to be doing is taking those tables out there. We right now have an information table and a missions table, a book table, and a, and a coffee table, I suppose you would say. We're working on making all those things really better, a lot better. We're going to add a couple tables and then bring them into this space and, and line them up against this wall right here. They'll all have matching tablecloths, so I'll have signs so each table is clear like what the tables are. And here's kind of what we're envisioning. In the, in the first, in the pole position over there, we're envisioning a welcome table that would have sort of welcome bags there for visitors. There would be some gifts and stuff like that that we can give out to brand new people. There'll be one of those scrolling picture things, you know, those picture frames that scroll digital pictures so people can see who we are and get a feel for what our church is about. There'll be some big level mission and vision stuff on that church for the sake of visitors. Right next to it will be a table with information about the specific ministries of the church and current events that are going on in the church and ways for people to plug into the life of the church. And then we'll have a resource table with books and all of that. We'll have the missions table. We'll have a family discipleship table and a community groups table eventually. Now, I know that that might sound like a lot, but I promise you that as we begin to build the vision of what we have over there, I think you're going to see that it's going to look nice. I think it's going to inspire people to go over there. We noticed that after the service, almost everybody just hangs out in this room rather than going out there. So we thought, why not put the information in this room? And I think it will inspire people to go over there and it will especially help visitors to understand and plug into the life of this church, which is really important. And one other thing we're going to do is station a person at the welcome table and the info table so that when visitors or newer people go over there, they'll actually have somebody to interact with and ask questions, and that person can help them get plugged in, which will, by the way, also free me up to stay up here and to pray with people or to to hear concerns or to do the stuff that pastors do after a sermon. So that's kind of the vision of that. 
After we get done working on Hinky, and there's more details there, but that's just kind of basically what we're up to. The next thing that we want to do is to get our website in order simply because it's a really important communication tool in our day. I have a friend who builds websites for churches out in California, and he told me that over 90% of Christians who are looking for a church first go to the website of a church to check it out before they ever visit the church. Over 90%. And so that means that our website really needs to reflect what we want it to reflect. And it's been there and it's been decent, but we really want to put a lot of energy into it and make it great. Really make it reflective, make it useful, make it all that we think that it can be for the glory of Christ. After that, we're going to work on exterior signage and do a lot better job of putting signs along Main Street and Proctor and maybe even out at Highway 10 to guide people into the worship area here. We want people to be able to find us. Believe it or not, we've had situations where people tried to get to us and couldn't figure out where we were, so they didn't come to worship. I know if you live in Elk River, if you just say hanky, everybody knows where you're talking about. But if you're outside of Elk River, people don't know. And so we've realized that we need to help people find us if we're going to reach more people for the glory of Jesus. So we'll be working on signage, have our website proudly displayed there. And then finally, after that, we want to work on a long-term strategy for advertising, for getting word out to the community that this church is here. I will bet you, we've been here for three years, I will bet you that 50-60% of Elk River, maybe more, doesn't even know that the church is here. And so we need to honor our theological convictions and the way we think about life at church. But at some point, we need to sow more seeds into the community if we're going to reap a harvest. Now, beloved, as I said earlier, all of these practical things, these external improvements, they're not just about impressing people or being more commercially appealing or anything like that. Rather, they're simply about helping us exalt the things that are truly valuable to us. We want this worship space to feel worshipful because we love God. We believe that He's truly great, that He's truly glorious, that He's truly gracious. And so we want the way that we do the things we do to speak of that. We want people to be able to find us all that they might see Him, sing to Him, seek Him, and submit to Him. That's what we're up to. So as you begin to see these changes, I just want you to understand that we're all about exalting the glory of Christ. We're not turning into a seeker church. We're simply trying to better express the value we have on God. Jesus Christ is the center of our worship service. He will always be that. But again, we have to improve how we communicate to people the, the things that we feel about Him. So that's strategy one of five things. Build a strong worship service. The practical stuff that just has to happen. If you, any of you feel inspired to, to roll up your sleeves and get involved with us in these things, I would love it if you would do that. Talk with me or one of the elders, and we'll certainly get you plugged in. But in the meantime, please just pray with us that in all the details of the work, we won't forget the point that Jesus Christ is glorious and that we simply want to exalt Him as high as we can. We want the lost to know Him. We want the saved to be built up in Him. It's all about Him. After all, His name's on the church, right? Glory of Christ. So it's all about Him. So please pray with us. Next week, we'll talk about the community groups, a vital, vital structure in the life of this church that we're beginning to make some serious headway on now. And I want you to know what's happening. But again, for now, please, let's pray. Our Father, I thank You so much for all You have done for us in Jesus. I thank You for Your 
authority. I thank you for your clarity in commanding us to disciple the nations. I thank you for your mercy in granting us a vision of the kind of people we ought to be. And I thank you for helping us to see the practical things it will take to build this church into the church you are dreaming of. So help us, Jesus, I pray, as we work on building a worship service here that is mainly pleasing to you, that is exalting to you. Lord, I I want every week for you to look upon this service and smile. I think about in the Old Testament where you looked on the feasts of Israel that you commanded, and you said to them, I hate your feasts. Oh Lord, we don't want that. We want to work with all of our hearts as sincerely as we can to exalt you here in a way that's pleasing to you. So please, Jesus, teach us how to do that. Please help us with all the details, I pray. Please help us to keep our hearts and our minds focused. And at the end of the day, I pray that you would inspire your people to look upward to where you are, Father. Father, we live so often with our eyes fixed on the earth. I pray that Sunday in and Sunday out, you would teach us to live with our eyes upward, fixed on Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, how our lives would change if we would only look up. So I pray that you would help us, Lord. And I thank you in advance, because I know that by your mercy and by your power, you will help us. We love you. In your great name we pray. Amen.